Hey, welcome back to the Writers Show. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Sit down, make yourself comfortable. Can I get you anything? A cup of tea, coffee, something stronger, some whiskey and beer. I'll have a look what's left in the fridge. While I'm looking, settle back in your favourite chair because today I'm talking to Sarah Townsend who has a new book out called The Little Book of Confusables. Have you ever been caught out using the wrong phrase or the wrong word? Have you mixed words up in a weird word salad, making people snigger at your poor grasp of a king's English? Here's a secret. I do it all the time, but luckily my partner is a proofreader, so she can correct me in real time. If you don't have that luxury, Sarah has written just the book for you. Let's talk to Sarah Townsend. Welcome back to The Writer Show. You've been on, on here once before. And um, you've got a brand new book, which I've needed for a long, long time. The book's called The Little Book of Confusables. What was your inspiration for writing it? Um, well, first of all, it's lovely to be back. Thank you for having me on. Um, so I've worked with words for the best part of my career as a copywriter, editor, proofreader. And over the past 30 years, I've worked with some really smart people who just don't find language that intuitive. So I wanted to create a book that didn't make anybody feel silly, but kind of amused them and help them to learn by having fun with fun and memorable spelling tips and usage examples for all of these words that we often get confused. Because even if we work with words, even authors, writers, translators, teachers, I've had teachers have picked it up and have been using it in their classrooms. All of us have these language blind spots, however good we are with words. I don't care what anybody says, everybody has these blind spots. It's like a mental block with certain things and we all have to look things up. I've been referring to to this myself since I wrote it. So I keep a copy on my desk when I'm out co-working or out, out and about working in coffee shops or whatever. And I'm referring to it all the time because I still have to look things up. But the difference is that this teaches you to learn the difference between the commonly confused words, not just to look them up. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah so the 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 kind of the premise is to help um, smart people avoid stupid mistakes with commonly confused words, and to help people, as well as Im- avoiding the, those embarrassing mistakes, also write with confidence and boost their vocabulary. So yeah, that's what it seems to have done so far. It's been really well received here in the UK. No, it's a great book. It's funny and witty. And it begs the question, what what's the mangled phrase that puts your teeth on edge every time you hear it? Mine would be for all intensive purposes. <laughs> it's funny. You should pick that one particularly because that was one of the very few that ended up on the cutting room floor to use a, um, a film analogy um, because typographically the, the book, as you know, because you've seen it, the book is 
glorious typographically it's gorgeous but the word the confusable word is big on the page and to get for all intensive purposes on one page it just was not working so I've already um I abandoned a few and the hardest part with this book I will come back to your question in a sec but the hardest part was with this book was knowing where to stop because I kept going, oh, no, I've forgotten to include this in C. And my 19, now 20-year-old son was helping me with the book. And he's now off at uni studying English, which is um, perfect. But he said, mum, you're just going to have to draw the line and just say no more. So I started keeping a note on my phone, and I already have another probably 250 words that I will include in the next version if there is one so ah. the oh the phrase that oh gosh there are so many of them because I think the difference is a lot of people I know would consider themselves to be kind of disgusted by um falling standards of English as they see it whereas I actually just see it as an opportunity for for learning so it's a great opportunity for me to help people remember those things so if I hear somebody say you know um chest chest of drawers instead of chest of drawers or something like that then I just find it amusing so (laughs) there aren't many there are there are phrases that that annoy me but they tend to be more things like um the the robotic language that people churn out without even thinking of so things like we would like to apologize for any inconvenience caused it means nothing because it's so automatic these days it's as if people have done something wrong they know that that's the sequence of words they need to use to apologize they don't actually ever think of saying we made a mistake we're sorry What's that about? So that is the kind of thing that frustrates me because that's not, that's just laziness. That's like automated language. Do you think it's a generational thing? That's a tricky question because I have two young kids, well, 20, 23 and 19, I mean, young people. And um, both of them, no, that's not true. Actually, my daughter does make some pretty funny mistakes from time to time, but she's just got a first in her sociology degree, so she must be good with the language. But my son is exceptional with language. His vocabulary is better than mine. Um, he writes in a much more formal way, but that suits him. That's fine. Whereas I'm all about the human language. So I don't think it is about generations. When I was at school, this was the early 1970s and here in the UK in the 70s teaching grammar was kind of out of fashion so I actually never learned grammar at school so if somebody said to me oh that's the past participle of blah I'd be like well I don't know but I've I'm with you (laughs) yeah I've I've just learned to use language in a way that actually to quote a um to quote one of the reviews from my previous book, Survival Skills for Freelancers, somebody said, it's so refreshing to read a book written by a copywriter who knows how to get the message from the page to the brain with the least resistance. And for me, that is far... I know, it gives me goosebumps every time I think about that one. I love that review. But, But for me, it's far more important to write in a way that makes understanding the message 
as easy as humanly possible because then it maximizes the chances of the person reading taking action as a result. So for me, being strictly grammatically correct and being able to identify every individual part of a sentence is less important. So it's certainly important in your job as a copywriter. And you're, of course, the the queen of the freelance copywriters, I guess. Um, (laughs) Somebody yesterday who interviewed me from South Korea called me the the freelancing queen. I've never been called (laughs) that before. I like it. (laughs) Well, there's a uh, a new new position vacant. (laughs) Too soon, sorry. Um, You've made words your business for quite a while. What what drew drew you to this business, the business of smart and clever copy? I guess I've just always loved language. I'm somebody who I just I just love to read. Um, so I've always been. I don't have very highbrow reading taste, by the way. So don't ask me what I'm reading at the moment. It's probably <laughs> some number one bestseller or something. But um, I just love the power and the potential of language. I love the fact that we can convince people or we can turn people right off with the words that we use. And um, as a result, I I do, I'm quite, I'm quite, my brain is quite strange when it comes to language because there's lots of words, for example, that if my partner says something, I'm like, oh no, I don't like that word. (laughs) So there are loads of words that are kind of off limits in my home. (laughs) I I just, it's, it's weird. So there are lots of words I love and lots of words I really don't like, but I always found language really intuitive as I say I didn't learn grammar but I just kind of have a natural ability to write in a way that really seems to resonate with people I have to say disclaimer I'm not as good when I talk (laughs) I'm not as articulate when I talk because my brain is a million miles an hour and I'm firing off different thoughts left right and center so um don't judge me by the way I speak please but um I always used to win the English prize at school I was always top student for English and and always conversely struggled with with maths and anything to do with figures so it seemed like a natural place for me to fall really you've fallen well and um you've turned this (laughs) Uh, career in a freelancing career of um, copywriting. Your last book, notice the seamless segue there. Your last <laughs> book was Survival Skills for Freelancers, and it made quite a splash. And you also self-published that. What did you learn from publishing your first book that you've taken into the new book? Oh, that's such a good question. Do you know what? I honestly thought second time round it would be a breeze, more for me. <laughs> it absolutely was not a breeze. The The one thing that really helped to understand was Amazon's um, publishing system, um, KDP. And I didn't need to go back to basics and start learning that again, obviously. But Confusables is a totally different book to Survival Skills for Freelancers. So the actual process of putting it together was very different. Um, What did I learn? I guess I would take away the fact that I had such a successful launch for survival skills for freelancers I basically applied the same 
principles to the launch itself. So gathering together this team of supportive people who would help me spread the word and build a buzz around the launch. Now that for me was really critical. It worked extremely well for survival skills for freelancers that hit number one in three categories on launch day and confusables hit number one in eight. So that for me is a big success i'm really really chuffed with the way it um the way it took off and i I, you can't do that like anybody who tries to do that in isolation it's just impossible i mean i'm i'm as you've said i'm running a freelance copywriting business and effectively i'm doing the book on the side so obviously i've taken some time out of my day-to-day work to get it together but i wasn't going to make the mistake that i made last time And actually, that's probably the biggest learning point. Last time, I put pause on everything. I wrote the book, I launched the book, and then I tried to go back to work. And people were like, are you still doing the copywriting? Uh, (laughs) Because you're talking about suddenly you're a mentor for this. And I've let the mentoring go, actually. Um, But I am still doing the talks and events, which I love doing. But aside from that, I really took my eye off the ball with my copywriting. So this time around, I have not let myself do that. But it is tough. Marketing your own book is hard, blowing work. Incredibly um, hard. I'm sure most of your read, most of your listeners know that. But um, but yeah, it's, it's it could be a full time job so easily if you had the time, couldn't it? It's well, yeah. But I've been watching your launch for. Um this book from afar and uh it it seemed fairly seamless and uh, certainly the, the the swan <laughs> paddling frantically underneath the surface of the water <laughs> it, it it looked like a good launch you, you had a yeah, very good it, launch. It, it, it felt like a good launch it really did and and it, it continues to feel like a good launch because I mean, the, the the one thing that I would not do again in the future is launch in the middle of the summer holidays. Yeah. I don't know why I picked August the 18th out the blue. I should have picked September the 18th um, because then it would have been more in the back to school time because this book has also been picked up by a lot of A-level students and GCSE, yeah. parents of GCSE students, and um, they've got copies as well. And obviously, because my son helped me with it, it's kind of kept it fresh and relevant. So, um, yeah, I, I, I did launch when a lot of my launch team were on holiday, which was really not ideal. But what that's meant is that as people have come back to work, they've kind of picked up on it then and have started posting about it now, really. So, yeah, it continues to it continues to rumble on. I'm trying really hard to get it into publications here in the UK, but doing the the PR side as well as the marketing is so difficult. Journalists just don't reply to messages. No. <laughs> like, and the one person so far, the one person who has said, yes, please do send me a, a copy. So I sent her a copy and she's now featuring it in her Christmas gift guide in a national publication. Um, so that's that's really good. I think that shows it's just a question of getting it in front of the right people because it's oh, very definitely. easy yeah. to describe the book, but it's it's I, I call it chunky dinky, this format. It's it's chunky, it's dinky, it's flickable, it's gorgeous inside. Yeah. It's it's it feels amazing. It's got this lovely soft touch varnish on it. And I think really until people hold it, they might think, oh, 
doesn't sound very exciting. Sounds a bit dull. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth, I think. So it's all about maybe I should just randomly <laughs> post out copies to random people and try to get it in front of uh, of some big names. But it's tough, isn't it? Maybe an airdrop. <laughs> I'll send drones around. Yeah. <laughs> so of course, um, getting back to copywriting, and that that's your your main gig, I guess. What what's your advice to anybody wanting to break into copywriting? Yeah, well, I, I get I get emails asking me that question on a daily basis, and you can imagine I can't possibly send a personalized reply to each one so I have a bit of I I have a bit of a cop-out response because for me you can be the best writer in the world but you won't necessarily make it as a freelance copywriter unless you have the understanding of the underlying challenges that come along with freelancing so I think this is the thing with freelancing seamless segue as you said but I genuinely think that when I started as a freelancer I thought I'm great as an editor and proofreader and so humble too. <laughs> um, I'll I'll definitely make it as a successful freelancer, but it was the stuff that I wasn't anticipating, the business end of being a freelancer that caught me out and that catches everybody out. So I would focus on, if you're thinking of doing it as a career, focus on getting sorted on making sure you have the character attributes and the sticking power and the tenacity, the uh, tautological, but um, the the drive, the determination, the self-motivation, all those things that you need um, to tackle the the mental and the like the, the head challenges and the heart challenges of being freelance. So um, I always start off by referring people to survival skills for freelancers. 80% of the reviews for that book say to people, um, I wish I'd had this book when I first started. So anybody yeah. who's thinking about it, get that book under your belt because it will set you up for success. And then the next part of the response actually refers people to another copywriter's blog because he has pulled, a copywriting friend of mine has pulled together a huge amount of resource about how to get started as a writer. And it's it's a good starting point. So that those are kind of my two go-to um, fallback pieces of advice. What what do you think is the hardest thing about freelancing life? Oh God! You could ask me that on any given day, and the answer would be different. Yeah. <laughs> because because I bust the eight myths of freelancing in survival skills, I would say it has to be one of those things. So it's something to do with either. If you don't have the right setup, you don't have the right community around you, it can be the feelings of isolation and loneliness. Because feeling as if you don't have any community to... You know know when you're working in an office and you go on Monday morning and everybody's like, oh, how was your weekend? And you chat for a little bit and then... Over lunch, you know, you talk about what you watched on TV last night or have you seen that latest drama on Netflix? You don't have any of that. It's the kind of peripheral stuff feeling like you don't have anybody who actually cares how your weekend went. You don't have anybody to offload to when you have a challenging client. You don't have anybody to bounce ideas off. Like, say you were a freelance copywriter like I am, you know, oh, how would you guys... um, how would you guys phrase this? I'm kind of a bit stuck on this sentence. You need those people around you. It's vital to have those people around you that you can bounce ideas off. 
And the best people to have around you are people who do the same job as you. So I'm all about community over competition because so many people would think, oh, oh no, I'm not going to, how can I befriend another copywriter because they're my competition? But in actual fact, they are the best support group you could possibly have. So yeah, find yourself a community. That's the hardest thing. What's the best thing? Oh, well, for me, when it's when it's going well, it's having boundaries. <laughs> it really is. Okay. Knowing, do you know, I, I had a I had somebody message me yesterday out the blue. I had no idea who they were, no niceties around, you know, oh you I was given your name by such and such, you know, we're working on this project. Um, I'd love to get a quote from you. Just, hi, Sarah, please provide a, uh, an estimate for this by Thursday and blah, blah, blah. I had no idea who this person was. I yeah. read through the work and I thought, that doesn't inspire me. So I've got to the stage, I've been freelance as a copywriter for 23 years. So I am in a very fortunate position that it takes a while to get to. I can pick and choose the work that I take on and the work that I don't want if it's not horrible, <laughs> if it's horrible, I wouldn't recommend it to my copywriting friends. But if it's something that I think one of my copywriting friends would um, be brilliant at, then I can walk away from that situation with my head held high and just say, this isn't for me, um, but I'm I'm happy to introduce you to a copywriting colleague yeah. who I think would be a great fit for the work. And that is a lovely feeling, just kind of having that sense of, having that sense of, power and autonomy around the way I design my week, um, the way I work with my clients, the people that I work with. It, that I, I don't work Fridays anymore. I stopped working Fridays when I turned 50. And that has been an absolute game changer. And I reckon I still get just as much work done in four days. I probably work slightly longer days. But um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, when we first start, we tend to get attracted to freelance life for the freedom and the flexibility. And then we quickly realise that actually we're working longer days and we've got off one treadmill, the treadmill of employment, and we've got onto a completely different treadmill, which is self-employment. And it takes a while to to know how to deal with those challenges and how to manage those situations so that you are the boss. It's very easy to go self-employed and find that suddenly you've got lots and lots of mini bosses and you're kind of down here running and the clients are up here telling you what to do well you're in no better position than you were when you were employed if that's how you find yourself because being self-employed is all about being your own boss you've written two books of non-fiction any fiction on the horizon absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) i think writing fiction is a completely different ball game i don't think i've got it in me to do that kind of planning i i read fiction books all the time and just think this is genius how do you possibly get from point a to point b with all the the loose ends tied up i think it's an absolutely fantastic discipline and 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 i'm in awe of people who can write fiction but it's not for me but then i until 2020 when i decided to write survival skills for freelancers i always said i will never write a book and here i am two bestsellers under my belt (laughs) Two down, one to go. There'll be a sequel soon. So um, just I was looking at uh, your Facebook and Instagram 
and saw that you've don't look at facebook facebook is so out of date facebook is basically instagram <laughs> fed through automatically to facebook because i don't do facebook <laughs> yeah, so, um, I, I'm much a, more active on linkedin i'm a bit over the book of face myself yeah but i i've read that you've had the surreal experience of creating a viral instagram video with 10 oh, million yeah. views now that just fascinates me how did that happen I, I get excited when I get 100 views on a video, <laughs> 10 million. First off, good researching. <laughs> That's nice. I like it. Um, so, yeah, so so this is – I've actually written a blog about this since because I always thought – when you're doing social media, you kind of have this dream that you'll have this post that will go viral and it'll make you kind of Insta-famous. And um, and this so, – so a bit of background. I have two Instagram accounts. I have one that's for photography, and it's all gorgeous Cotswold landscapes, beautiful English countryside. And and then I also have one which talks about language and freelancing, and it's kind of more day-to-day stuff, more personal, more me and my family. And um, on that account, I tend to share things that are – going to help people write better for their own business and freelancing hacks which are quite often to do with time management like time saving tips and um quite often techie things so like i am the world's biggest user of text replacement on my phone i have thousands and thousands and thousands of things that are all saved in text replacement i'm always banging on about that but this particular day, I thought, okay, so um, my son came home and said, Mum, I've just bought some gluten-free pasta, uh, p- pasta, gluten-free pastry, because I'm going to make you a pan au chocolat. So I'm gluten-free and have been for probably five years and I love croissants and pan au chocolat mm. and I haven't been able to eat one for for years so he'd found this recipe to make this super simple pan au chocolat with gluten-free puff pastry and then I was like okay so you make it and I will time-lapse video you making it so I put it on like the speed sped up mode yeah. and videoed it. And, and I thought, actually, I reckon a lot of people would like to know how to do this because it's super simple, super cheap and quick and cheap and all the good things. Yeah. And I did this time-lapse video and then I sat on it for a while and I thought, well, I could post it because it's effectively a time-saving tip. You know, if you're working for yourself, you don't have yeah, much time to yeah. make back here's like a little two minute thing you can do literally takes 30 seconds to make and then 15 minutes to cook so um i posted it and i think it settled as my second highest viewed reel at about four thousand i think my highest viewed reel up to that point was five and a half thousand and on the average they would um they would hit around about 1500 that was kind of usual, probably still is, maybe a little bit more than that. But um, this one got to 4,000 four, four or 4,500. And then I just forgot about it. And then something happened. And I, to this day, do not know what happened that triggered it. But it was about a couple of months later, suddenly I went into my Instagram notifications and suddenly I was noticing, do, 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 like every like three wow. notifications a minute, I have no idea what 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 triggered this, but suddenly I'm up to. Oh well, okay. So this is quite funny. I got to um, double figures, as in like ten 
10,000 views. And I was so excited that I posted on LinkedIn and went, guys, I've got a viral post with 10,000. And it just kept going. And I was saying to people, where do you think it'll stop? And somebody said... 250,000 and I said absolutely no way will it even get to 100,000 and it stopped I think it's now around 10.6 million something like 420,000 likes so my engagement on my LinkedIn uh, I keep saying LinkedIn don't I I mean Instagram my engagement on my Instagram was up 83 thousand percent or something ridiculous <laughs> I don't know what it was it was just I have this screen grab that shows the graph it's just like you're Insane. you know you've reached yeah some crazy figures but I, but I wrote a blog about it because I overall and like a couple of months later the impact on my Instagram I would say if anything was negative not positive so look well, the look Look the blog up if anybody's listening and is interested. Read the blog and connect with me, and um, yeah, I'll tell you more. Well, if you could, if you could convert those viewers into book buyers, I know, <laughs> I know. Well, my following. So I was on about four and a half thousand, and I got to nine thousand nine hundred. And I think now I'm on 9,700, something like that. Because I just was terrified that I was going to get this mass exodus of people. Like my following would never be seen to go up again because I was always losing followers at a faster rate than I was gaining them. So I just thought as soon as people realise that I am not an account, you know, I'm talking about words. I'm talking about um, how to how to say no as a freelancer, how to set boundaries as a freelancer or deal with imposter syndrome. And they're expecting cooking tips. So there's going to be this mass exodus, but it's never really happened. But what I don't like is the fact that I think immediately after Instagram was showing my posts to these new people that I had no relationship with or no knowledge of and they didn't know me from adam they just liked one video and thought that they'd follow me as a result so i did i did see it as an opportunity to get more book sales i thought it happened at a brilliant time whether that's actually happened in reality is impossible to tell be nice to think it had (laughs) but yeah just an incredible story sarah it's been wonderful having you back on and Congratulations for the little book of Confusables. Um, Thank you. Where can people get a copy of it? So it is available on Amazon worldwide. The downside of the Chunky Dinky format is that it's not available in bookshops. Very long story. I'm banging my head against a brick wall with it. Honestly, it's crazy because it's a non-standard size. Um, So I don't know the way around it. If anybody, any publishing experts out there know how to get me into bookshops, please contact me after the show. Um, But um, it's available from Amazon in uh, worldwide in kindle and paperback format just type in confusables and it will come straight up i'm sure it certainly does in the uk all over the first page of google it's the kindle version thicker sorry (laughs) the kindle version i haven't tried because it's it's not like response I, i nearly didn't bother with kindle because i thought i'd lose all the design features but it's it's yeah it's a different type of kindle non-responsive Kindle. It's beautifully designed and laid out book. It's a thing to hold and behold and um, make you use words better. I highly recommend go out and get a copy. 
Um, there will be links and on our show notes page for all Sarah stuff. So do have a look. Sarah, thank you again. Sarah Townsend. Absolute pleasure. Great to talk to you. Thank you. You can find out more about Sarah on her website, sarahtownsendeditorial.com.uk. Of course, you can also get the show notes to this episode with links to Sarah's book on our website, which is thewritershow.com. Now, do you want to publish your book but don't know how to go about it? Madhouse Media Publishing has an exclusive deal for listeners of the Writer's Show podcast. You can get your book published in print and ebook for only $19.95. That's $1,995. No strings attached. All you have to do is book a Zoom call to talk about your book. No ob- obligation. No hard sell, no time limit. At the very least, you'll come away with information on what to do next. If you do decide to go ahead and publish, you only pay $19.95. What have you got to lose? Book your call now. Call Madhouse Media Publishing on 1300 402 526 and organise your free call or you can check them out at madhousemedia.com.au. That's another Writer's Show podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hughes. Check us out on our website, thewritershow.com. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 